so much, Dan, for leading us in worship. So uh, I have in my hands here a penny, and uh, my premise is that I think we all take pennies for granted. Don't you agree? Um, so if you saw a penny on the ground, would you stop and pick it up? You would. Maybe like a nickel, maybe a quarter. For some of you guys, it would need to be like paper money in order for you to bend over and pick up something like that. Um, I'm reminded of a time when um, my son Landon, when he was on five or six, he had this big jar of pennies. And uh, he starts, he's walking out to our driveway with these pennies. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, and he, he made this sign for himself that said, pennies for sale. And, uh, and he, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to go sell my pennies. I said, okay, how much are you selling them for? <laughs> and he's like, 25 cents a piece. And, um, and I just found this so entertaining. I, I just thought to myself, one day I'll teach you how life works. But until then, this is just way too entertaining. So um, he, he literally goes out and sits on the, the driveway for like an hour with his sign that says pennies for sale, 25 cents a piece, right, with this jar of pennies. And I took a little photo from the living room. I think I put it on Facebook back then. Um, and uh, just really hilarious. Um, but obviously we don't value, none of us value pennies, right? Uh, so I'm going to give you a little penny quiz real fast. Um, what president is on the front of the penny? That's an easy one. Abe Lincoln, you got that right. All right, which way is Lincoln facing? Is it that way or that way? Like, if it's facing you, <laughs> this is the penny. That way? That way is correct. All right, uh, what word is printed? Don't, don't get out a penny if you have a penny and cheat on this quiz. Um, what word is to the left of Lincoln? Any idea? Not justice. Abraham. <laughs> Someone said... <laughs> Yeah, and there's an arrow pointing right at him, like, that's Abraham right there. Um, that's liberty. Someone cheated. Uh, okay, so on the back, there's a building. What's the building on the back? On most pennies, not all. What did someone say I couldn't hear? Not the White House. The Lincoln Memorial. Ah, see? Um, you'll never get this one. So just to the right, because I just learned this, like, yesterday. Just to the right of the Lincoln Memorial, there's little teeny initials. Any idea what they are or whose they are? Not able. <laughs> no. And it's not John Wilkes Booth. Don't, that's not funny. So, no. <laughs> um, some kind of weird poetic justice with that. So, uh, it's actually Frank, it's FG, and it's Frank Gasparo, who I guess designed the penny or at least designed the back of it, so they put his initials on there. So now you, you might say that you know pennies pretty well, but most of us can't answer those questions, of course. And here's the reality. We don't, we, not, we don't study what we already know, right? We just take it for granted. We don't study what we already know. So I like what Jared Wilson says. He says, we don't study the familiar. The very fact that we consider something familiar sort of stifles any impulse to study it. One of the subtle dangers of the way many Christians do discipleship is that they are always somehow looking at Jesus, but never really seeing him. So I think we can all agree, we, we take certain things for granted. We don't, we don't study the familiar. We don't study things that we think we know. There's a word in the Bible that most of us almost never use, and it's this word, behold. 
I mean, just try to insert that word in a regular conversation, how awkward that would be, right? That's not, we don't throw that word around a whole lot today, but we gloss over this word in the Bible thinking we know what it means, but do we really know what it means? So in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what does that word mean? What does behold mean? Well, it might, at first glance, it might mean just look or see. You know, look at the Son of Man coming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, or, or look or see. But it really means more than that. It, it means to look with consideration, to look with fixation. To behold is to, to like, hold something in your vision. And one writer says it, it's to allow the weight of it to rest on your mind and heart. So it's a much deeper idea than just look at something or just see something, but it's to, it's to look at it in such a way, to hold it in your vision, allowing the weight of it to rest on your mind and heart. I think of um, those 3D images. You guys have seen these before um, that you can't really, you have to look at it kind of indirectly to understand what that is. And I, I can't see the, I have a lazy eye. I can't make sense of these things. They don't, my eyes don't work together too well, all right? But, um, when you look at the 3D image, it it's obviously looks all jumbled and blurry at first, but um, you've got to stare at it until you see it, until you see the 3D image. And I think trying to behold God's glory can be kind of like that. It can look confusing or blurry at times, but you've got to keep looking. You've got to stare at it until you see it. And at various points of your life, things might come into focus, but um, it doesn't always look like that. And you're trying to behold the glory of God in your life. There's a story over in John chapter 4 about a woman who thinks she knows about Jesus. She thinks she knows who he is, and she's looking at him, but she's not really seeing him for who he is. So turn over to John chapter 4, and we'll start in verses uh, 5 through 9 here in a second. So here's the scene. Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, and it's about 130 miles from Jerusalem to just north of there, which is Galilee. And there was this region in between those two areas called Samaria. And you might recall from other stories in the Gospels that the Jews, they hated Samaritans. And there was a whole bunch of racism involved with that. And the Jews did not like Samaritans. And so there was this region between Jerusalem and Galilee where um, Jesus is traveling about 130 miles from one region to another, and there's this section called Samaria, and generally, Jews would go around Samaria. It, it'd be like you setting out on foot from Temple to Dallas, and you going around Waco, right? That's the idea in the, in the picture that we're talking about. And so, uh, what does Jesus do, though? Jesus walks straight into Samaria, and defies all the cultural norms of that day. So look with me in John chapter 4, verse 5. It says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, uh, during Snowmageddon, we we know that um, we saw images all over Texas of people traveling great distances just to get water. But back then, everyone lived like this, right? Everybody had to travel great distances to get water. And so Jesus is already violating two cultural norms in this story. First, he's talking to a Samaritan, a Jew, a Jewish rabbi talking to a Samaritan. And now he's talking to a woman. Jewish rabbis would never do this. Jewish men wouldn't even talk to a woman in public that wasn't, they weren't related to. And, uh, and he's doing this at an odd hour as well. So what is the sixth hour? Well, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m., and so the sixth hour was noon, around lunchtime for us. And most women would go in the morning or in the evening, in the, in the cooler part of the day, to go get water. It was a long journey for many. It was really heavy jars they had to carry. So they would avoid the heat of the day, the middle of the day. So the question is, why is she there in the middle of the day? It it seems like she doesn't want to be seen by anybody. So look again at verse uh, 10. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So when Jesus asked her for this drink, this whole thing is a setup. Because he's interested in more than just the physical water. And he says, if you knew who was speaking to you, then you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you living water. And so she's understandably confused. She's not quite sure what he's he's getting at. What Jesus is doing is he is using the physical world to communicate a spiritual truth. And so in the conversation, he's bridging this conversation over into the spiritual conversation. So look with us in verse 13. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So again, Jesus, Jesus uses the, the physical to display the spiritual. And this lady is still confused. And she's saying, if there's some, listen, if there's some magic water that I can obtain and not have to make this long journey every several times during the week, then, then sign me up. Show me what this living water, where this living water is located. And so what this woman doesn't realize, though, is that she has a deeper thirst in her soul that she's not aware of yet. Look at verse 16. It says, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, 
and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, and I love this response, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) So there it is. So that's the thirst that he's talking about. This woman has a deep thirst in her soul. And she's tried filling it with relationships over and over and over again. She came to this well to quench her thirst. And in a way, that's kind of a, a picture of where she's at spiritually. She's tried to quench her spiritual thirst with these relationships that have started off maybe well and flourished. And then they just crash and burn. And then somebody else. And then somebody else. And then somebody else. And I think of this idea we, we really see a picture of, of sin here. Sin is our attempt to meet a spiritual need with something fleeting. You know, for many of us, especially early in our, in our Christian walk, we see sin as just, well, that's just the stuff I shouldn't do. That, that's just a list of things that people say, you shouldn't do those things, they're just bad. And we forget to, to realize that every sin that you and I struggle with, we're attempting to meet a deeper spiritual need when we walk into those sins like you're not just doing it just because like you and I don't even realize this most of the time that most of the every time you and I walk off into sin it's our attempt to meet a deeper spiritual need and if you and I can grasp that and understand that I would say it's it's the start of understanding um, the motive behind many of the sins that we fall ensnared we become ensnared to i think we all do this we we seek to quench our eternal thirst through temporal means and for this woman she gets into a relationship maybe this is going to be the one maybe not that one maybe this one and it runs its course and she moves on to the next one and the next one and the next one and i think you and i do the exact same thing we go back to our sin over and over and over and at first there's this this rush of satisfaction, this rush of adrenaline, but it wears off and we go searching for more. And it just never satisfies. And so look with me in verse 20. It says, she now is saying to him, to Jesus, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I just imagine her her mouth hitting the ground as he said those, those last words. And then notice what she does. So Jesus confronts her sin in a pretty bold and upfront way, and she's now feeling ashamed. And so she changes the subject. She starts talking about temples and worship and Jesus' opinion on this, this cultural debate they were having back then of whether or not, you see, the Samaritans had set up this whole other worship system. 
because they weren't accepted by the Jews. The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem at the temple, and the Samaritans wanted to worship God in their own way, so they built this temple on Mount Gerizim in their region, and they had other practices that are involved in their worship, and it wasn't a, a God-centered worship that they were experiencing there. And, and she wants to talk about that instead of her sin. But when you look closer at this story, she only thinks she's changing the subject. You see, what does her sexual past have to do with worship? Well, the answer is everything. You see, Jesus is saying for years, you have worshipped the affection of men. You have tried filling this spiritual void with something that's created. And now I want to turn you into a true worshiper. I think the most amazing thing about this story is that Jesus goes into a region where a Jew would never want to go into, especially a Jewish rabbi, and talks to this woman in the middle of the day with a, with a checkered sexual past. And Jesus wants her worship. Whatever your story is, whatever you've walked through in your life, whatever you're walking through in your life right now, whatever you have done, Jesus wants your worship. The God who created this, this earth, this world, created you, he wants your worship. Jared Wilson says it like this. He says, Jesus exposes this woman's greatest vulnerability, but not to shame her. The blunt, direct, command-giving, merciful Jesus brings her shame to the surface in order to cover it. Sometimes Jesus brings our sin and our shame to the surface, not to shame or to embarrass us, but so he can cover it with his mercy. Like whenever you and I have been found out, there's no, no worse feeling than being found out. When, when someone, your parents or a friend, they discover something that you've been doing or have been doing or whatever, and that moment of being found out, there is not a more vulnerable moment in our lives. And it feels awful. And it feels judgmental. But what God is doing often is he is exposing our, our sin, not to shame us or to embarrass us, but so he can cover it with his mercy. I think back to the first sin in the garden when Adam and Eve, they realize that, that God knows what they've done. And, and so what do they do? Their instant reaction is we, we need to go cover ourselves. Like in a physical, we're going to cover ourselves physically. So they get fig leaves to cover themselves. But then what does God do? Well, God wants to cover them as well, but how does he do it? He wants them to go make a sacrifice. And now they're going to cover themselves with a sacrifice. And that's what Jesus does for us. He exposes our sin and our shame so he can cover us with the sacrifice of his blood. That's what Jesus does. You see, many times we come to Jesus just in search of a pick-me-up or like a life coach, right? And what we really need is to, to behold him, to allow the weight of who he is to rest on our mind and heart. That's how transformation happens. 
So this woman's sin was never just a behavior issue, but it was a worship issue. Our sin is never just about behavior, but it's about worship. Because we don't often behold him for who he is. We, we don't let the, the reality and the lordship of Christ rest on our minds and hearts in such a way that it transforms our, our character and our being. So this idea of beholding his glory until we see it is going to be a lifelong struggle for, for you and I. I recently uh, called a, a former student that used to go here. He lives in a different part of the state now. And I just wanted to check in and see how he's doing. And, and he's struggling. Obviously, the isolation of the pandemic has made everyone struggle, but he had to move to a new area and, and start off with not being able to go to school. That's a really hard situation to be in. And, um, and he said this, he said, you know, I, I just feel like I, I used to feel God, but I just don't feel like I feel him anymore. And, and so how do we respond to someone who, who is struggling like this? I know you've all experienced the same thing. You've had highs and lows in your walk with God, and you might say the same thing. Like, I, I, there are times where I could, I could feel his presence with me, and I just don't feel like I feel that anymore. It's one of the most common statements I hear from high school students, and if left untended, it can really derail your faith. But I want to encourage you that the Bible is written, and what I told him, I said, listen, man, the Bible is written to people like you, to all of us. The Bible is written to people that would say that. The Bible is written by people that said that. I mean, the Psalms are mostly about that. God, where are you? I don't know what to do, God. Where, where, it feels like you're absent, like you're not present with me. But that's what the Psalms are written about. So why would, God, why would God give us words in the Bible that mirror the very thing that you and I say we often experience? If God didn't want us to pray those very kinds of prayers, and we're experiencing what feels like the dark night of the soul, as some have called it. So this statement might sound kind of depressing, but it, it's meant to encourage, it's not meant to be depressing, it's meant to encourage you that you and I will struggle to see his glory for the rest of our lives. That's part of the Christian life. And so each week we've had leaders come up on stage, so I'm going to ask Price and Becca to come up here real quick, and we're going to discuss some of this, and, and hopefully I can flesh it out a little bit more for you. Um, and so I really appreciate them doing this. I've really, uh, and I thought Riley and Heather Ann did a great job. I listened to it on the, the deal, so I appreciate you guys sharing last week too. Um, I guess you can grab this mic here. Good luck with that Rubik's Cube. Just unfurl it, I guess. Um, but I'm going to ask them each uh, a couple different questions, and uh, we'll try something different today. I'm going to ask them the first three questions will be questions they both, because they're more testimony-type questions in nature. So I don't know who wants to go first on this first one, but I was just going to ask you, what aspect of this story um, really stands out to you or convicts you? So you guys can fight over who goes first, I guess. Um, for me, uh, it was kind of like the example of you, how you use the penny. And uh, for me in my life, really, um, throughout my walk in Christianity, um, one of the things I struggled with the most was identity and figuring out that uh, my only identity doesn't matter like about anything on this earth. It only matters that I'm a child of God. And then that's the same way 
God loved his son because he was the son of God. Um, and so the fact that, like, Jesus Christ and God can love me the same way that God loves his son, um, that just is something that in itself is an aspect that I could take away because we often, like, like the penny, we see that its value is so small, but often we take it for granted. And so, like, every day we need to wake up knowing that, like, Jesus is our Lord and Savior because you never know what kind of opportunities, big or small, uh, that he's going to provide for you. I was convicted. I've heard this story so many times. Um, I guess as I started thinking about the story, what my mind kept going back to was the women who judged the woman at the well so that she had to go draw water at noon instead of in the morning. And um, it was convicting to me because I've grown up, you know, the good little church girl, you know, tried to do all the right things. And I would probably much more easily fall into the category of those women who weren't at the well when Jesus got there. And they could have missed out on meeting Jesus. Like he actually ended up staying for a couple of days and a lot of people came to faith in him after this story takes place. But, um, you know, I probably, that was convicting to me, just like that I probably would have been really prideful about her and being good and not, not doing, having a, a socially acceptable sin of pride versus her very, you know, out in front of everyone sin life. So sometimes we can know about Jesus, but not truly behold him. So when in your life did you really start seeing Jesus for who he really is? I would say for me, I grew up going to a, a private Christian school growing up. And so I was caught uh, in this Christian bubble of like everything was okay. Like everyone was a spiritual leader. I had a very strong class that I graduated with and everyone was just so strong. Um, and so for me, it was actually when I came to college, because also at the time I was playing, I was playing soccer, I was traveling a lot, playing club sports. And so for me, I never really had a church community uh, growing up until I got to college. But if it wasn't for me being placed at a great high school uh, where I had so many classmates that uh, instilled in me and pursued me and held me accountable, then I wouldn't know what I would have found when I came to college. Um, and so I would say for me, uh, just finding a great community and finding people that are going to hold you accountable uh, in every aspect of life, no matter how hard or difficult uh, life can be sometimes. Looking back over my life so far, I, there are really like specific points in my life where I see Christ, where Christ worked. That there's usually something bad going on and, you know, Christ kind of stepped into that place and like helped me. But the most recent was actually last year. I had a baby in September, and from for about four months of my pregnancy um, until I had my son, um, we had a lot of complications, and I was at the doctor every week, and we had, the doctors could not find out what was going on. Like, it was just every week, like, just the entire time, like, the doctor was like, your baby could die, like, any day. So it, it was living in that for four months, but, like, not... Like, Jesus was so present in those moments, like, just beholding him, and, like, the Holy Spirit was helping me to keep my eyes fixed on the sovereignty of God. Um, so, I mean, it was almost like he was making me look at him and, like, just stay really focused on who God was through that time so that it wasn't, like, it wasn't so overwhelming and overbearing, and that was only, only by the work of the Holy Spirit. That was not me at all. And I think that was very much an instance of beholding the Lord. 
Yeah, the reality is, I mean, he, I mean, the hard thing for us is that he often uses suffering to do that, right? It's like that's the hardest thing. Is that like what she's describing? I could, I could, I would say that the times I feel like I've seen him most clearly have been in times like that. And I wish it wasn't the case. I wish it was like, no, no, why can't it be just that when, when things are good? Why can't that be when I see you most clearly? Um, that's just not reality. And then um, sin is our attempt to meet a spiritual need with something fleeting. So what are some ways this has played out in your lives? Uh, again, for me, uh, I guess this could kind of relate to the last question we had, but my senior year of high school, I actually uh, broke my back, broke my L1, L2 vertebrae. And so for me, I dealt with a lot of depression, anxiety, uh, just trying to really figure out the Lord's plan for my life uh, with that. Um, and for me, I also have this really deep conviction of not asking people for help when I should. And so um, for me at that time, like, I had to do a lot of things that were uncomfortable, and I had to ask for a lot of help from people, my family, my friends. Um, and so I guess in that aspect, the same way that um, I kind of had to deal with that for a lack of confidence in myself, in the same way like I had to ask for help from people is the same way that I have to wake up every single morning uh, for my spiritual health and asking Jesus, hey, like, I need you every single day. And that was just something that if that hadn't have happened, then um, that wouldn't be as strong of a man of Christ as I am today. And so I just encourage y'all with that. And so, yeah. Same. I hate asking people for help. <laughs> um, I'm an Army brat. And I think where I've seen this play out the most in my life is with pride. Um, I never, we moved around. I didn't have to move around as a lot, as much as many Army brats, but I still moved around quite a bit. Um, and so instead of like being vulnerable to make friends, I just put on like a, okay, let's just, we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep marching forward kind of an attitude. Um, and that would a lot of times come out in pride and, and arrogance, like, like put up walls, be friendly, have friends, but like really not let anybody in because I didn't want to have to deal and do the hard, the hard part of relationships with people. Um, I think that's, <laughs> getting up every morning, praying, <laughs> coming to the Lord and like laying that pride down is, is a hard thing, but a good thing. So the last couple questions, I had just asked them to, uh, to just each one of you take just one of these questions. I don't know who's taking which one. I'll just read it and you guys can, can answer. Um, did that make sense? Did my... Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're going to decide it now, so <laughs> that's fine. Or you know what? We flip oh, the we penny. Flip the penny. That's we could do that. Um, or if you want, or we could, we have time, so I could have, if both y'all want to respond, let's just do it that way, we have time, so it's, it's pr fairly early, and I, I feel bad for finishing early, because I never finish early, so I don't want to do that, only just got out, got out of here early, right, <laughs> well, I mess up my streak, right, all right, uh, so the fourth question, Jesus brings this woman's uh, sin to the surface, not to shame her, but so he can cover her shame with his mercy, so why is it so hard for us to have our sin exposed? Yeah, I think obviously for many of us, it's probably like identity. We want to make sure like everyone, um, we want to like display ourselves as like we're all put together um, and that everything's okay. But in reality, that's actually um, 
kind of threatening like our identity in Christ. Um, and so what I guess what I would say that is act out in faith, like no matter what the circumstance is. And I mean, and don't just like say you're a Christian, but like act out in it. If I were to like say an ex as an example, it would be like this chair. I can acknowledge that like the chair is here. I could say like, I believe that the chair is gonna hold me up but it's not until I sit in the chair to where my evidence of the faith in the chair shows. Um, and that's the same thing in Christ. I could say that I believe in Christ. I can acknowledge that he is there, but it's not until I act out in my faith to where that evidence of my faith shows. And so that's just something I would encourage y'all with, and that's probably how I'd answer uh, this question in particular. Um, I was just reading the question again. hurts when your sin comes out or when somebody like calls you out on something like if this really is not a fun place to be but like you know like what I said earlier like in, it's usually in those moments where Christ has something really important to teach you like when you are kind of flat on your face and if you're you know if you struggle with pride that's you end up there quite often um, uh, but without that like we can't grow in Christ if our sin's not brought to the surface and we don't go through that growing pain of having it brought out and Christ's mercy covering it, we can't grow. And I think that's maybe helpful in those times where, you know, it is brought to the surface, where a friend points out your sin or where God points out your sin, um, that he's doing it because he loves you. And I think that's, we have to try to remember that in those times. <laughs> There's no other way to get through it. I think also, too, it's, it's really important. Um, I know for, for a lot of us, going and confessing to God might seem like the easy thing, right? And we should do that. But the really hard thing is confessing to someone else. That's the really difficult thing. And it, because you're really faced with, I mean, God can kind of seem impersonal like this. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll express it to God. You know, he, he's gracious, so he'll give me his grace. But, um, but saying it to a person is the hardest thing because that's where any vestige of pride is just obliterated, right, at that point. And you have to acknowledge at that point, like, what kind of person you are in your sin, right? And, uh, and so um, that's where it's, I think, most difficult. But I think God, I think confessing to each other should be a spiritual discipline for us in the body of Christ. And then last question, um, we talked about the example of, of someone. What would you say to a young Christian who says, I just didn't realize how hard this would be. I really thought I would sense God's presence more. How would you respond to that person? How I would respond to that is um, simply just sit them down and tell them your testimony. Because just like Becca pointed out, at the end of uh, the story that we were going over today, um, many Samaritans believed uh, in Jesus because of the testimony of the woman at the well. And so... Um, stories, your testimony have a very, no matter how difficult your journey was with, to get up to Christ or not, uh, your story is very powerful and I know you might, and some of y'all might not think it's a big deal to you and it, it might not be a big story but it is because that's how you came to know the most important uh, individual in your life and that is Jesus Christ and so um, I would just encourage if any of you guys are up with that situation or that situation comes about in your life, just 
share your story, be vulnerable, be intentional with them because you never know. Um, there might be one small detail in your story that could um, save their soul spiritually. I came to TBC almost nine years ago, and I came out of a church that was very emotion-driven. Like, you need to feel the Holy Spirit. Like, if you're not feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit, then there's something wrong with you. One man would get up almost every Sunday and say, if you're not blessed by this, then your blesser is broken. <laughs> I actually was at a funeral not too long ago, and I think he said it again. Um, and I had been there for the last couple of years. I'd grown up kind of in this congregation. My dad got stationed at Fort Hood in the mid-90s, um, and we had been there for quite a while. And for the last couple of years I was there, like, I wasn't feeling the Holy Spirit. So it was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not feeling this? So this is a very real question. Um, there are going to be times in your life where you don't have the feelings, where you're not like, yay, I want to wake up and read my Bible and meet with the Lord. Like, it's not, it's going to be hard. Um, and TBC was so great. It was so great to come here and realize that my blesser wasn't broken, that, you know, I was just in kind of a hard season. And the verse that came to mind when I read this question, it was Hebrews 13, 8, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if you're not feeling it, know that Jesus hasn't changed. Like, it, he's not, like, forsaking you. He's not turning his back on you. You know, there might be, he's might, he might, it might be you, you know, trying to hide because you know God's trying to deal with some sin in your life, or it might just be a hard season. There are a lot of different reasons, and I would just encourage you, you know, reach out, confess to somebody, like go to somebody and talk through this, you know, what, why am I feeling this way, and have somebody pray with you, um, because Jesus doesn't change, and just because but one of the best things I learned is that just because I'm not feeling it doesn't mean that he has changed. He is the same. And I think that's kind of been important. That's been important for me to remember, even now, like on those days where I'm just having a really bad day, like Jesus is the same. So I know that tomorrow is going to be a different day. It's not based on my feelings. And I think one of the things that I said to the young man I talked to this past week is I said, listen, uh, I think many of us, we say, well, I'm not going to go and pray to him unless I feel it first, right? And but what I think we, we fail to realize is, you know, God doesn't want you to bring to him um, what is supposed to be in you. He wants you to bring to him what's in you, what's actually in you. So if that's where you're at, like, bring that to him. And I think what you'll find is when you are honest and open and transparent with him, it's like that's, that's actually the kind of the gateway in which you might begin to feel him again. That's kind of the irony of the Christian faith, right? And so um, don't bring to God, you know, pretense or pretending or what you think is supposed to be in you. Bring to him what's actually in you. And that's what you see all throughout the scriptures. I think that's why God has put it in the scriptures to model it and say, now this is how you're supposed to pray. You you pray your tears, you pray your fears, you pray all the things you're scared about, angry about, and, um, and of course, God's not going to leave you there in that, in that place. Like, he, he will bring you through that, but um, don't let those things push you from even talking to him. That's really the time when you should engage all the more. So, um, I'm going to pray for us and uh, have you guys dismiss here in a second. Let's pray together. God, thank you for um, these students. Thank you that we get to gather with them and, and 
work through your word together and hear stories and hear about how you are um, impacting the lives of our leaders through your word, through the lived out um, influence of your spirit in their lives. God, we thank you that um, these students are coming. It's just a blessing to me and to us to have them in this room again. I know this is, there's inconveniences. This isn't always how we want to meet, but I just pray that they, uh, that they, they come in here and they want to learn, they want to grow. I praise you for that. And I pray that this can be something that, um, it, for anyone that's here that may not know you yet, Father, I pray that they would come to know you, uh, surrender to you, Father, and, and start this relationship with you. That they would cry out to you and, and share their need, um, admit their need for you, Father. And uh, we just praise you and thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, before you dismiss, let me... We're going to dismiss you guys in some different ways right now because I want to make sure that, um, especially